Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week we're continuing our read-through of Catching Fire, looking at chapters 7 and 8. Brittany, why don't you start us off with a recap? So, while waiting for Gail in a building by the lake in the woods, Katniss thinks back to a conversation she had with Madge about her Mockingjay pin. Once Gail shows up, Katniss tells him everything about President Snow's threats and asks if he and his family will run away with hers. He agrees until he finds out that Katniss intends to bring Peeta and Hamish along too, and she lets slip that there is an uprising in District 8. Gail is elated that it may finally be time for the districts to revolt and says he won't go. Katniss next tells Peeta about her plan to run away, but while they're discussing it, they hear a strange sound that turns out to be Gail being whipped in the town square by a new head peacekeeper named Thread, because Gail had, quote, poached a wild turkey. Katniss gets whipped in the face when she jumps in front of Gail, and Hamish and Peeta step in to remind Thread who Katniss is and stop the situation from escalating through their statuses as victors. Peeta, Hamish, and two of Gail's mining co-workers carry his unconscious body to Katniss's house so that her mom can treat him, and Madge shows up with Morphling to help the pain. After everyone leaves, Katniss thinks how she's a coward to have wanted to run instead of stay and fight the capital, and kisses Gale and tells him she's going to stay in District 12 and cause all types of trouble. Well, why don't we talk about the striking moments? So what striking moments did you want to talk about? So one thing I was thinking about is how some of the main things that I really like and dislike about Gale are in this scene by the lake. Mm. Because I dislike his presumption and jealousy, Mm -hmm. kind of possessiveness, as he's assuming Katniss only cares about her family and his family, and is upset to learn that there are other people she cares about that she would want to come along as well, and he didn't want to take the gloves until he knew they weren't Peta's old gloves, and it's like... If you want gloves to not freeze in the winter, like, just take the gloves, you know? And also, I just like his kind of harsh black and white judgments of people that he really knows nothing about. Mm -hmm. Like, Peter's family, he was saying, oh, I bet they couldn't wait to inform on us after we left. Does he really know anything about them? Why would he make that assumption? Yeah. Particularly, I mean, he's been selling to Peter's father squirrels for years. Mm -hmm. So those things I don't like about him. And, and, you know, we'll we'll continue to see some of those things throughout. But I do love his kind of righteous anger, his willingness to sacrifice instead of just wanting to protect his own little nuclear family, Mm -hmm. uh, which is also i think very integral to his character yeah which i I really appreciate and and so yeah it was just kind of interesting noticing all of those things come out in in just one scene absolutely i i thought similar things that i think the first scene that i really felt illustrated gail's character in a way that i was compelled by in either Mm. books i saw dynamics that yeah were both things that i liked and admired and also things that bugged me Mm -hmm. yeah Also, 
something that just never occurred to me until this read-through is why PETA knows the sound of someone being whipped. I don't, I don't know. When I read it in the past, I just always assumed, oh, he's a smart boy and he just maybe heard stories or, you know, whatever. He, he put it together. Yeah. But Katniss has never heard this sound and so she can she just can't place it. And then I was thinking, I wonder if he knows the sound because his mom's abusive. Mm-hmm that he he and or his brothers have been beaten before maybe with a belt or something and so he knows what that is because he does know it yeah it's not oh that's a strange sound let's go find out what it is he knows what it is and i can't imagine any other reason he would know that sound yeah he can recognize the sound of something hitting flesh yeah, I caught that too. His recognizing it and see, being serious about it. And then once he sees that it's Gale, knowing that Katniss shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like, ah, Peta. Poor Peta. And I mean, not not to put a Peta and Gale against each other like the fandom does like to do. But I was just kind of re-noticing how PETA cares about the people that Katniss cares about Mm -hmm. because she cares about them. He'll step in, he'll try to get this whipping to be stopped, he'll carry Gail back, you know, he'll he'll do all of these different things, but Gail doesn't do the same. Yeah. He wants PETA to be left rather than to go with them and run away, Mm -hmm. even if that would mean terrible things for him. Yeah. Oh, Peta. Oh, Peta. Okay. Before we uh, make this just a Peta podcast, uh, why don't we go into your striking moments? One that I had was on the moment when Katniss and Gail are first starting to talk and, and it's starting to kind of become argumentative, but a glint in Gail's eye catches Katniss off guard. And makes her almost start laughing, mm-hmm. even though it's a serious topic. And and I think that this read through that spoke to me more, or I found that more powerful or more important than I had in previous read throughs because we've been spending so much time with Katniss and because I've been thinking so much more deeply about characters' interactions because no one else could disarm Katniss with humor in that way. And the fact that Gail's able to do that with a look is just, yeah, really emblematic of their relationship in a way that we, we don't see much of on paper. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I actually would say that humor is the main way that Katniss can be disarmed, no matter who it's coming from. That's true, but I think with just a look, I don't think anyone else would be able to affect her in the same way. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. Another moment that really impacted me, and, and I remember this from previous read-throughs, but it just kind of was one of the times that I really resonated with Katniss was when she describes how, for her, the worst pain is the pain that is present. She couldn't be a medic or a healer because she would want to help anyone's pain that's being experienced at the moment. She couldn't think about, well, this pain isn't going to be as bad as the pain I'm going to have to use this medication for later 
or I might have to use this for later. And so I'll not use it at this point. I'll ration it. Um, she would just be unable to do that. And I, I totally in the same way. <laughs> I know you are. Um, That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> like a pain that's being felt now is one that I, I, I want to give all the resources I can to. And yeah, sometimes that's not sustainable or it's not healthy or it's otherwise problematic. And so it was just something that I felt was a really small but important moment to showing Katniss's compassion, the way that she wants to help people. And, you know, I think that you resonate with Katniss much more than I do. Mm -hmm. So that was just a, yeah, a, a powerful moment for me while I was reading. Yeah, one of the few ways I don't. <laughs> the last one I want to talk about was how when she's talking to Madge about the Mockingjays and Jabberjays, she does actually describe how the Capitol hadn't counted on the Jabberjays' will to live um, and to continue to do things outside the Capitol's control after their use as tools had been ended. For the first time in particular after reading The Ballad of Songbird and Snakes, I really thought about that more intensely about how the Mockingjay is obviously a really important symbol of how the capital can't have control over everything. But that symbol existed because the actual weapon or tool the capital created in the Jabberjays itself didn't follow their goals. Mm. And it was just, it's just like a subtly different way of looking at it that I never really focused on before. But particularly as we start thinking about who among the capital are resisting and rebelling against them and these power structures and how Katniss and other tributes as tools the capital can resist power structures. You know, Katniss even thinks about herself as possibly being something created by the capital to Gale when he throws the gloves. Yeah, I just, I wonder if in some ways Katniss is a Jabberjay and not just a Mockingjay. Yeah, so that's just something I think I'll explore, but this, this read-through, that line really kind of uh, made me start thinking a lot more about the role of the Jabberjays um, and not just the Mockingjays. Mm. But why don't we move into our next section? This is from another point of view, where we talk about scenes from perspectives other than Katniss's. So who did you want to talk about? So I was thinking a lot about Madge in this, mm. in these chapters. Yeah, me too. And so I was kind of thinking about her when she's having the conversation with Katniss they're talking about the Jabberjays and the Mockingjays, like you were just saying. Katniss says, are you sure you don't want this pin back? And mm -hmm. I guess I found it interesting that Madge felt the need to say, but the, the Mockingjays were never a weapon. Yeah. Yeah, I was, just, I was thinking about things that could be going through Madge's mind if she's thinking... Uh, this conversation is getting a little too towards the side of rebelliousness. Yeah. And maybe she knows living in that house with the information that her father is getting from the Capitol that there are uprisings happening and she's trying to diffuse this. She's trying to lead it, this conversation in a different direction because she's worried about being overheard about her house being surveilled and things like that and so the the privilege she has being the mayor's daughter and never having to get tesserae or any of those things but also the position 
being dangerous because the capital is looking to you, to, to her family, to keep this terrible social order, keep the quote-unquote peace and things like that. So yeah, I, I was just wondering what that would have been like for her to grow up in that circumstance. And then once it gets to after Gail has been whipped, she brings the morphling medication that is her mother's who gets terrible migraines and... I was just thinking about the conversation she and her mom would have had Mm -hmm. and how they would have had to navigate that conversation in very sidestepping, circuitous ways. Even that decision to go and give something to someone who has just been punished for breaking the law. Because after she gives it to them, she just runs back in the storm before they can stop her. Mm-hmm. And Hamish says, I mean, I don't, I don't like the word crazy, but he says crazy girl. And to think about, yeah, like this is a very bold move. Yeah. This is a dangerous move on her part. That if anyone saw her, if anyone informed on her... Her family could be obviously taken out of a position of power, but yeah, actually killed or tortured or any of these things made into AVOXs. Yeah, just thinking about her taking these actions and and in, in the story, Katniss is kind of bristling at the implication that Madge is doing this for Gale, that mm-hmm. she likes Gale or there there's something in be- between them. And so I always kind of, in previous readings, kind of read it that way too, because that's what Katniss is getting implied to her. But in this read-through, I don't think that that's what's happening, like actually happening. I think that she's doing it for Katniss. Yeah, when she says, this is for your friend. She doesn't even name Gail. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, the only time we've seen them interact, he wasn't very nice to Madge. And... Katniss is, seems like is Madge's only friend. Yeah. And if we're reading that kiss on the cheek previously, potentially her, you know, someone that she has other feelings for too. And so it's like, yeah, I, I think that is why she was doing it. That's why she gave her the pin. That's why she didn't want the pin back. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about how Madge found out about Gail's whippings. Mm-hmm. And I almost imagined like, her and her mother and father having dinner or something and someone coming in to report this. Mm. Because she comes in fairly quickly, it seems, after it happened. And so, yeah, I wonder if that report came quickly and then yeah, I wonder they if... had a family discussion of, like, what are we going to do if mm-hmm. this is going to be the case again? We don't have power over the head peacekeeper. What can we do? Well, and I wonder if the head peacekeeper came to report mm, it because yeah. I imagine the mayor would know about certain things that are going to be happening. Yeah, totally. Um, that we'll see happen in the next few chapters. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think she's a really great perspective to think about District 12 on a wider level as well as because of her specific position there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what about you? What is the point of view you're looking at? Mine is a little bit more diffuse because I was kind of thinking about it just through the perspective of a number of other townsfolk. Mm. Because I think I mentioned in a previous episode how I don't always feel 
like District 12 is a community. And this is the first time I really did feel that. Right? When several people are like, Katniss, get out of here. You're only going to make things worse. Like they know their relationship. They know how things are playing out. Yeah. 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 We see both named and unnamed characters who are actively engaging in this in a way that shows their understanding of the situation and their desire to do what they can in it. Yeah, we see, you know, some people telling Katniss that she's going to make it worse by going to Gale. We also see, for example, since they don't have a stretcher, they buy a board from a shopkeeper in the area. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wonder whose idea it was for that to be a transaction, for something to be bought, rather than just, you know, here, take this. But it's still, Mm -hmm. it, it reminded me of Katniss earlier saying how she tries to spread her money around when she's shopping. Yeah. Um, for her to just be like, please take this money, you know, as this is going on. Again, showing showing more of that community dynamic. The character Levy I found really interesting too. Mm-hmm. Um, because never heard of her before. I, I, I'll be keeping an eye out in case we ever do again. She asks how she can help. And what she does do to help is, is significant. It's saying mm-hmm. that she's not only going to go tell Hazel, but... She's also going to stay with those children for however long it takes. You know, She knows where their family's home is. Mm-hmm. And that really, to me, felt like the kind of community atmosphere I had when I was in elementary school. And I knew all the parents. It wasn't just <laughs> that I knew my best friend's parents, but I could see students that I had a class with a year or two prior out with their parents and know that those are their parents. Like, you know, it just it felt like a more small town experience. And that's kind of what I'm getting here. We, we get the names of Gail's co-workers who are helping out. We see how yeah, Madge comes uh, with her mom's medicine. You know, it's just a lot of these kinds of people. And, and so for this section of thinking about things from their other perspective, it's making me really see and try to think of how these people see Gail see Katniss, see their place in a community that has experienced troubled times in the past and more policed times in the past and know some of the protocols of how to deal with that, some of which are don't deal with that. Don't make things worse. Don't Mm -hmm. aggravate them with your presence. Um, You know, that in and of itself is a tactic that some of them are sharing, but also, okay, bring them to Katniss's mom's. Hamish knows that this might impact his crew's ability to get work. You know, there's mm-hmm. all these kinds of very subtle dynamics that are quickly but clearly being dealt with in ways that show experience and competence. That, yeah, it just made me think about how not only do we get new named characters, but we also see a wider community that is a part of these events in a way that I hadn't really seen before. Hmm. Yeah, because of some other comments you've made in the past about this community aspect, I I was picking up on that a lot more this read-through as well. It kind of makes me wonder how the mining labor is done, if it would be more difficult for Bristol and Thom to get more work, or, you know, how those things are functioning, and if they are on a specific crew that if they're missing someone then will they get paid less or you know I I don't know how it works but it makes me wonder if it's another social control tactic 
because if one person in your crew does something against the law or stinks of rebellion exactly then all of you are punished for it or potentially yeah um which yeah would make you feel like you can do that less absolutely and it means that other people are more likely to police you even if they are not official Mm -hmm. positions yeah definitely some interesting questions and that actually i think is a great transition into our touch points so this is a section where we see how aspects of the narrative reflect our own society so what touch points did you want to share so what just a small one is the new head peacekeeper romulus thread he says to katniss get your cousin out of here then girl and it just like bugs me the fact that he's like calls her girl i mean yes she is a girl but he knows who she is now he Mm -hmm. knows this is katniss and he's purposefully not using her name like this is the only name that has been being talked about for months (laughs) right and so it's just really annoying yeah it's it's this gross power play sort of thing that is aimed at diminishing a person mm-hmm. i mean it's why that kind of language is used for enslaved people mm-hmm. yeah yeah so not a fan of him no no not my favorite character <laughs> i wish he was romulus dead <laughs> wow okay I wish he was Romulus different. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's a better way to do it. (laughs) Another thing I was thinking about is why they took Gale to Katniss's mom instead of the town doctor. Mm. Because she isn't a doctor. And now that they actually have the money to pay a doctor, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't they take him there? But then, as Heyman had said, that there were a lot of weapons before Cray came to District 12 and they would bring the injured to Katniss's mom, which then leads me to other questions of was when her mom was working at the apothecary in the town, her her family's apothecary, were they just doing that for free? Mm. Because people in the seam would definitely be more likely to have to break laws to survive. Yeah. And therefore, that means they're more likely to get whipped, but also because they don't have as many resources as people in the town do, that means that they can't afford that medical care Mm -hmm. if that is to happen. And so, yeah, I was just thinking about how the ways in which communities are made vulnerable are so interlinked, because when you don't have enough money and you're malnourished then healing is going to be a bigger issue and if you have to do something to break one of these laws that is made by the people who would never need to break them Mm -hmm. then it's more likely that you're going to be injured and won't be able to recover from it and won't get the care you need and it's just like this very cyclical thing to um, oppress people and not not allow certain communities to be able to break through those barriers that the powers that be have put in place. Absolutely. Here in California, uh, it reminds me of undocumented people Mm -hmm. and how despite talking points that talk about how they're a drain on social safety net (laughs) uh, and healthcare and things like that, 
that oftentimes they are afraid to take advantage of things that they actually do have the ability to take advantage of safely because they can't trust that these formal setups, these formal hospitals, doctors, and things like that won't also come with something that could get them deported. So yeah, so things like the COVID vaccine had lower rates in those communities because they were afraid that going and getting it might require them to show documentation they don't have, mm -hmm. which could then lead to legal issues. And so, yeah, lots and lots of problems. Yeah, yeah good absolutely. point. What about you? What are some of the touch points you were noticing? Well, one, talking about some of the things that we didn't like about Gale earlier, mm -hmm. um, it kind of reminded me of some of the, the kind of narratives I see about quote unquote nice guys <laughs> um, who oftentimes will get so caught up in these kinds of romantic fantasies that ultimately they just feel entitled to attention and to love and to sex and to these other types of things. And when they don't get those things that they feel entitled to, they get defensive the way that Gail does. I, I really saw this time how he not only got upset with Katniss, but how he started criticizing the plan that he had just agreed to happily once it was clear that PETA might be coming. And he's like, oh, well, maybe mm -hmm. my mom doesn't want to come. Yeah. And it's like, okay, now, wh where was this a minute ago? You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't there because now he's just being the defensive, reactive Well, now he, thing. he's just fishing for, oh, if your family won't come along, then I'm not going either. Because she said, no, I'll convince PETA or I won't leave him, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I think, that, that whole scene kind of really reminded me of... Some of those, yeah, well, just some of those. <laughs> Not even just, sadly. Those kinds of, of narratives that, that often get played up. And, and when I see things online or, yeah, things that, that I saw in high school or, and certainly things that we see in movies and mm -hmm. TV shows of that entitlement and that defensiveness uh, and, and that just inability to process emotions and consent that we unfortunately allow young boys and men to get away with. Yeah, it's like, she never was in a relationship with you. She never wanted to even be in a relationship with mm -hmm. you. You're just assuming and feel like you should be the only person in her life. But she never agreed to that. And you're operating like she did. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I also wanted to have a discussion that is kind of like my old... What's Chris reading in grad school type <laughs> of segment that we used to do um, when I was in grad school? Because it's a book that I read while I was studying that made me think a lot about what was happening with Gale and the other miners. Because he does mention how there's talk in the minds about joining a rebellion or about fighting back, I think is the, the words that he uses. And there is this fascinating book called Carbon Democracy by Timothy Mitchell examining how the transition to first coal and then especially oil affected human society and affected world history in these massive ways. But Mitchell argues that the industrialization that occurred from that certainly had all these destructive forces, but it came with democratization not through making states have more democratic political systems, but by giving the workers who were involved in those industries more ability to partake in democratic actions like striking or sabotage mm. or other types of things like that. And that coal in particular was a really effective way of doing so. That so many of the early union victories existed surrounding the coal industry, either miners or people who were transporting or, or 
in some other way involved in the coal industry had a lot of power in society just through their labor. You know, something that we've been talking a little bit about recently and and I found really, really interesting with his line there because as coal miners, as people who provide some of the power and electricity that is going to be essential for the maintenance of Pan-M, there is more power, more of this kind of democratic power, as Mitchell argues, if they did choose to rebel, if they did choose to walk off the job, if they chose to go on strike, to take over a mine, all of those are going to have much larger effects. You could compare the entirety of District 12 with 8,000 people, proportionally having so much more engagement with this vital industry, and therefore power to possibly do something with that than if 8,000 people in District 11, for example, did a similar activity. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I'd recently used Mitchell, an excerpt from Mitchell's book in a class I was teaching, and so it was kind of already on my mind. And then reading to this chapter really kind of sparked that in me and made me think about how those miners are not just in a location, in a mine, where maybe they have more privacy to talk about more rebellious I- ideas, because... They're in one of the most dangerous places in the area that I'm guessing not a lot of peacekeepers and capital managers are going to be spending time in. (laughs) But also that, yeah, they have specific access to modes of production that can be empowering for them uh, and can help build strategies for them to fight for more democratic systems and less oppression, hopefully, in the same way that workers in certain industries in our society have been able to do as well. I mean, you could even argue, even though I was against their rationale and what they were protesting, but this trucker convoy that exists in Canada, <laughs> yeah, that is an essential labor that society needs. And so if enough of them got together to try to do something, they had power to do so in a really unique way. And oh, yeah. it's nice to see, even though I'd love to see more of it, it's nice to see at least some hints of those types of things being brought up with the miners here in District 12. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And groups of people can have a lot of power to combat certain things if they can harness it in the right ways at the right time and all that. Yeah. And yeah, your use of the word groups, I think, is so important. Like communal power mm-hmm. is ultimately the way that, that working class people can enact change because they don't mm-hmm. have the resources that elites have. But what they have instead is numbers and their labor. And so acting in community with one another, in unions or non-union activities, hearing that the first Amazon warehouse just unionized is awesome news. Mm. Um, and hopefully we'll continue, things will continue in that direction because... Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, one of the few ways that working class people really can have social political power. Mm-hmm. And y'all can watch the TV show Superstore if you'd like a comedy about these issues. Exactly, yes. Also, when you were talking, I suddenly just had an image of Gale in a District 12 rendition of Newsies. Now is the time to see today. Uh, that'd be great. <laughs> I mean, not Liam Hemsworth no, Gale. No, no. The real Gale. If we get 10 new patrons by the end of this book, 
we will rewrite the lyrics to seize the day for District 12. That would be amazing. And record and sing it. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe not for you singing it, my dear. <laughs> It'll be wonderful. <laughs> It'll be something. So spread the word now. <laughs> One thing before we move into our ones or mints, I also wanted to acknowledge is just how in just part of a small paragraph, Collins brings another layer to the gendered way in which poverty and oppressive systems can manifest when she when Katniss was thinking about Cray and how mm. everybody hated him they would have disliked him anyway because he was a peacekeeper but because of how he sexually exploited girls and women in the district who had no other options but to yeah have to get small amounts of money from him via sex work and it would be completely remiss for there to be a book that has so much about the issues of poverty without bringing at least a little bit of attention to that and you know a lot of people out in the world when they talk about sex work like to focus on the vast variety of types and Sure, there is a spectrum, but the majority of people in sex work are people who have been sex trafficked or are being exploited after they were groomed as minors and and things like that. And so, um, yeah, I just I appreciate that she put a little bit in there about that as well. Yeah, thank you very much for bringing that up. That's such a good point. And I do love how Katniss says that she could have been one of those girls. Mm -hmm. um, that there's, there's narratively no judgment on the women and girls who are engaging in that. Mm -hmm. It's The only judgment is on Cray. Exactly, yeah. As it should be. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, let's go into our wonderment. This is where we talk about what's on our mind, what we're thinking of, what we're questioning after reading. I am wondering why Gail and even PETA are more willing to stoke the fires of rebellion when Katniss isn't. Mm. Because she says, it's because I'm selfish, I'm a coward. But I don't think it's as simple as that. And so, yeah, I was just thinking about that question. Thinking about how Katniss had such formative years of her life from age 11 till now, where she was the only person keeping her family alive. Mm. And Gail didn't have to take care of his mom. Yeah. Peter's family would have been okay without him. They they weren't relied upon in the same way I think she was. And so I kind of wonder how that just affects the way that Katniss looks at things, that this is a role that she has now and to not protect these people, which her entire existence has been bent on. Yeah, I imagine it could be difficult to think differently in, in those circumstances. Absolutely. I also kind of wonder how her experience in the games might have affected that because she has seen the capital's cruelty up close instead of just on a screen instead of thousands of miles away 
it happened to her. Yeah. And even while we were reading the the last book, something that I didn't talk about on the podcast, but I noticed was the fact that while Cato is dying and being slowly gnawed at throughout the entire night, the game makers drop the temperature mm. so low. Why? There's no reason to do it except to torture even whoever's going to become the victor, you yeah. know? And so, yeah, I was just thinking about once you have those experiences and once you've actually felt severe bodily pain, I think it can be one thing to say, oh, well, I would be willing to put my life on the line. But once she lost her hearing, she had all sorts of bruises and cuts. And she failed to save Rue. She failed to save Rue. She almost died several times. She yeah. got severely burned. Pete almost died. You know, all of these things and... Also, the experience in the games would show how much power the capital has. To see firsthand the amount of money and resources, it would feel so daunting. And, like, only harm can come from rebellion. And we'll be worse off after than we are now. Mm. And a lot of us may be dead and also going back to that quote that you had mentioned about if she had been in charge of the painkillers, they would just be gone in a day because she has so little ability to watch suffering. And that was just making me wonder, what would it be like for her to grow up in Penem when she feels like she has such a small ability to watch others suffer? Because mm -hmm. that's all existences it's in the games every year certainly but it's also just people dropping dead from starvation yeah and so is it selfishness or is it she doesn't want people to suffer and she'll know that they'll suffer i mean obviously i think it's probably both but um yeah i don't know i'm just i'm wondering about that and i'll continue to to look for more thoughts as as we continue on her reasons to be less willing to to use the position she now has. Hmm, yeah. But what about you? What is your wonderment? I was wondering what the Harvest Festival is like. Mm-hmm. As they mentioned it a few times in the earlier chapters, I was really looking forward to seeing what that experience was going to be like. I, I didn't remember anything about it, and so I was hoping that there, there would be something that I just forgot about. It's not about fun and games, Chris. It's not about your entertainment. <laughs> But that's the thing is that's that's not what I want to to I don't just no, want to see games. No, I know I'm I'm yeah. I'm as just much as being fun as that is, but I find it really fascinating to think about what a harvest festival looks like for a mining town. Mm -hmm. Because though I imagine that there are garden plots and things like that, most of them do not have the resources or access to water and arable land and all these other kinds of things needed to have enough of their food be able to come from growing it like a harvest festival would typically celebrate. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if the harvest festival is something that actually exists Panem wide. Hmm. Um, and if this is always the end of the victory tour celebration, and in fact, it's tied into the televised 
aspect of that in the capital. But the mm. districts just kind of focus on it as like, oh, it's once a year where we can maybe have a little bit of extra food. Yeah, it just, it makes me think a lot about how a society that is so specialized and regimented can continue to have those kinds of holidays. Mm-hmm. And how that's different in a year where the victors are from their district. And for the first time in 24 years, there is abundance coming from the capital. And what it might be like for someone who's celebrating the Harvest Festival that year versus someone who's celebrating it the year before and and the contrast of those who are experiencing those things. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I just, uh, I have a lot of questions and I was really disappointed when they just kind of mention it offhand happening. Like Gail didn't see her during the Harvest Festival and it's like, oh, but but what happened in the Harvest (laughs) Festival? Uh, So yeah, I, I, I would have loved to see that more because it would have help provide a lot of really interesting insight into the culture of District 12. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And also, I think it would provide a connection to places around the world that are pretty impoverished, but they still have their own traditions Mm -hmm. and their own celebrations in whatever ways their community comes up with. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in Japan, you know, this isn't about impoverished communities, but one of the things that my students always found most engaging and interesting in my lessons were the ones about yeah, cultural events like Christmas or Halloween and having me kind of give simplistic, fun lessons about those things. And I even did one for my middle school students about Dia de los Muertos which they'd never heard of before. And that, that was really interesting. And so, yeah, this the idea of kind of cultural exchange and, and learning about a culture through those celebrations, I think is, can be really fascinating. So I was a little disappointed that <laughs> we didn't see them carving jack-o'-lanterns or anything like that. <laughs> Bobbing for apples. Yeah, because that's what they would do. Waste some of <laughs> the <true>. pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's head into our last segment, our intentions. What we want to take with us from this reading. Yeah, there was a line that really jumped out at me during the scene when Cray was whipping Gale. He was saying that, like, this is what happens when someone poaches off the capital's land. Mm. And that just bothered me so much. (laughs) Because especially as I've been trying to read Gale and Katniss and a lot of people in the seam as indigenous, Mm. like, it just bothers me so much. It just makes me so angry, this idea that they could poach off of the capital's land and and how it's just enraging (laughs) (laughs) so i think my intention is i've heard bits here and there about the land back movement from what i've heard i'm like all for it but i think i would like to spend more time actually looking into more specifics about it and how different communities are putting forth their intentions with this movement Mm -hmm. yeah because yeah most of us shouldn't have any of this land so yes we we don't do a land acknowledgement for our podcast but we are recording from ancestral land by of the tongva or gabrielino so Mm -hmm. yes it's uh important i think and and the fact that people that more institutions are doing land acknowledgements i think is a good step in the right direction um and everyone should just go watch reservation dogs (laughs) yes 
But what about you? What's your intention? My intention is to be kinder to myself. Because Hmm. when Katniss... Because the only time you're mean is when it's towards yourself. There's that, yes. But this came actually from Katniss describing herself as a selfish coward. As someone who Hmm. has not done the right thing in all these ways. and, And can't even be sure of whether her saving PETA was actually a selfless act or a caring act. I mean, clearly that's not it, but she thinks that that's an option for her. Yeah. And frankly, those exact things happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I use those exact words of selfish, cowardly. I question myself, uh, even the good that I've done, um, to, to think about, yeah, how, how you know, was it really good of me to do these things? Was were my intentions pure? How could I have done it better? And frankly, I have at times struggled with suicidal ideation, ideation which mm-hmm. Katniss struggles with here, wishing that she was dead. Mm. And so I see myself at my least healthy in Katniss at that point. So yeah, my intention is certainly during those crisis points, but but also just more generally in my subconscious to to be more kind to myself, to give myself the benefit of the doubt that I'd give to anyone else who does kind things, that those intentions don't have to be questioned um, and that uh, one does not need to be defined by the ways they think that they can do better. Because I wouldn't, when I read Katniss doing that, that to herself, I feel for her and... I see all the ways that she's wrong about herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd like to, to give myself that same kindness. That's good. Yeah. Because she's literally just been saving people's lives for the past mm-hmm. five years. Just like me. <laughs> and she needs to look to those facts. Um, that's one of the things in cognitive behavioral therapy that I really appreciate is like, what is this thought? What is this feeling that I'm having? And then what is the um, evidence to back it up? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, Katniss, what is the evidence to back <laughs> these up? <laughs> um, yes. And, and uh, to you too, Chris. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> okay, well, that will wrap up this week's discussion. What's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So we are going to be reading chapters 9 and 10 where Katniss meets some new friends. Oh, that's so nice for her. (laughs) She needs them. Replace Gale. (laughs) We don't completely hate Gale. I know. It's it's just funny. (laughs) It's just fun, yeah. He he just, he needs to change some things, too. (laughs) Well, that will wrap up this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. Thank you so much for listening. Find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon page in the episode description. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.